Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Well, good afternoon. My name is Kyle Burkholder. I'm uh, the pastor here at Covenant Church, and I just want to welcome you again to our Christmas Eve service. I don't know what your Christmas Eve tradition is. Maybe this is uh, where you come every year, uh, but maybe this is new to you, and so we want to say welcome. Uh, I grew up in South Texas, and my Christmas Eve tradition was often midnight mass in South Texas. Me falling asleep was mainly what I did, but um, hopefully we keep you awake for the next 40 minutes or so. We'll try to uh, keep it brief so if you got wiggly little ones, you don't feel like you're here too long. But we want to take in the fullness of the season. We want to celebrate that with you. And uh, if you're a guest with us, there's some simple things I want you to know. First, uh, we have a card here. If you're like going, I might want to get connected to a church like this one day, easiest thing in the world, whether it's today or some future Sunday, you would simply write on this card and at the close of any service, you go out those doors and to your left and you'll find our information center. You drop that off. Today, if you're a guest with us, you don't even have to do this. We got some red coffee mugs sitting out there, and these are for you, our guests. And so if you're a guest with us, you get to grab one of these as you go. Uh, If you see one sitting around, it's yours, and it's our way of saying thanks for joining us, and uh, it's our way of getting into your house so you know that we're here for you whenever you need us. So that's there for you. want to make sure that is clear. And then um, I guess today what we're going to do is I think we're supposed to talk about Christmas. Uh, So here we go. It's an uncommon day. I don't know if you know this. It's sort of a special day. We don't often have a choir, but we do today because it's special. You don't often look like this. Let's be honest. You don't dress up like this for any normal Sunday, but you look pretty good. You always know it's a special day when the men especially dress up, right? Women, you look good most days. Men, we got out of our sweatpants today. Way to go, guys. It's something special. We usually only dress up for special things. Anniversary dinner, maybe. Uh, You have a favorite place you go. Something like this, a white tablecloth kind of steakhouse seafood. I remember the first time someone invited me, I was in high school, and someone invited me to a uh, fancy steakhouse. One of the, I mean, I'd never been to a place like this. The meat was like $53, and then you had to, the mashed potatoes were $14, $14 side of mashed potatoes. And I felt profoundly out of place. I'd never been to a place like that, didn't know what to do, didn't know what to order. I just kind of got paralyzed didn't know what to do. Didn't um, uh, feel like it was a place for me. I was sort of an outsider. That probably informed the uh, later things I would do is when my birthday came up years later, I said, you know what I don't want to do is go to a place that's unapproachable to my friends or even that feels a little stilted and formal. I enjoy good food, but I wanted it to feel a little bit more home. So uh, in the years to come, I would invite every year, my friends would say, what are we doing for your birthday? And I'd say, we're going to Ma Harper's Creole Kitchen. That's Ma Harper. Ma Harper didn't have white tablecloths. She had vinyl tablecloths, and they were torn at the edges. Ma Harper is today 94 years old. She still cooks in the kitchen every day. She will still come out of the kitchen and yell at you to clean your plate while you're in her restaurant. (laughs) So we would go to Ma Harper's every year. Why? Because it felt like home. It blended uncommonly good food. No one made kind of that Cajun Creole food like Ma Harper. Uncommonly good food, 
but in a common setting, a common appeal. And it blended these two things that I wanted more than anything. I wanted the uncommon of the special occasion, but the common of I feel at home here. It didn't need to dress up, didn't need to stress on how to pronounce the food or check your bank account to see if you could afford the asparagus that was $19. Didn't have to pretend you knew what wine to order or what to do and swirl it and smell it and act like you knew if it was good or bad. Just ate grade food and left. It was the collision of common and uncommon. And that's what I think about when we get to Christmas every year. It's the collision of common and uncommon. Along with the resurrection, Christmas is one of the most special days we have, one of the most uncommon days we have, that Jesus came as an infant to seek and save us, to rescue and redeem us, uncommon in every way. So we dress up, we take pictures, we stress out about giving good gifts, we see the people we love the most. It's special in every way. But I don't want us to miss the other part of the story. So in Luke chapter 2, you can read it on the screen if you want. The scripture says there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord, and this will be assigned to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So listen, an angel shows up, the glory of the Lord shone around these shepherds. I don't know what that means, to be perfectly honest. Sounds bright. I don't know, but maybe. They were terrified, so probably it's pretty overwhelming, probably pretty cool. The core of the message for these shepherds was the long-awaited Savior of the world has arrived. He's here. This is a massive announcement. This is a $14 mashed potato size announcement, right? Like, this is special. This is special. I don't know about you, but I'd call angels showing up at my job pretty uncommon. And I work in a church, so how about that? Something beautiful is happening here I don't want to miss. It's a collision of sorts. Again, the common and the uncommon are colliding. You might have heard before, shepherds are not exactly high on the list of power players. Maybe you've heard that. Shepherds were essentially a bunch of nobodies out in the field. Um, They couldn't even give eyewitness testimony in court in the day because they weren't credible. Shepherd is common. Now, there are theories out there. I've I've read some theories. I can't kind of nail them down, but I've read some theories that these were not common shepherds, that they they were special shepherds. Maybe you've heard that. In November, I drove by McDonald's and they had a big sign that said, McRib is back. See that? You didn't expect McRib on Christmas, did you? I saw the McRib is back sign and I thought to myself, anytime you can get pressed pork sweepings that are shaped into a miniature rack of ribs on a sandwich, you have to do that. So I pulled in and had my McRib. I didn't feel good later, but it felt good in the moment. And what I thought as I left the McDonald's for my annual pilgrimage for the taste explosion that is a McRib, I said, you know what, it's special, but it's still McDonald's. Which is to say the shepherds, even if they're special, they're still shepherds. I just wanted to get McRib in. It's really all that was about. Um, you're going to be like, someone's going to go, did you go to church for Christmas Eve? And you go, yeah. And they go, oh, was it good? Like, I don't know. McRib was on the screen. And that's kind of where they lost me. I'm okay with that. Even special shepherds are still shepherds. E- even the most special shepherd is still common in relation to the rest of the society. These are commoners that have the most uncommon thing happen to them. They aren't the high priests. They aren't the government authorities. This is to continue our McDonald's theme, this is as if shepherds pulled into the drive-thru 
I mean, uh, angels pulled in the drive-thru and they said, we'd like the McRib meal with the fries and oh yeah, did you know the Savior is being born? And then if we kind of continue on with that, what would the employees of the McDonald's do? It's as if they all took off their headsets and they walked right out and the entire McDonald's was abandoned as these people went to go and see the Savior. This is what happened. They left their jobs. They just walked away from their jobs. You, you might have been in church for a while. You might believe that, that Peter and Andrew were the first disciples. They dropped their nets and they followed Jesus, the Bible says, which is always a very inspiring thing that Jesus said, follow me, and they dropped their nets and they followed him. And we go, wow, they just dropped their nets. The first ones to do it too. I would argue that the shepherds were the first to it. They beat him by 30 years. The shepherds had angels appear to them and the shepherds walked away from their flocks to go and see the Savior. Scripture said they were watching their flocks by night. Some of our Christmas carols are watching their flocks by night. What does that mean? What picture do you have in your head? The shepherds are likely sitting in the mouth of a cave, something like this that's on the screen for you. At night, they would take their sheep into a cave and they would sit at the mouth of the cave, which would keep predators out and keep the sheep in. And that's kind of how they would do it. And so odds are something like this is where these shepherds are sitting and the angel of the Lord shows up in this place and says, the Savior is here, the Messiah has come. Come, Glory. And they just walked. Yeah, we'll go. They dropped their nets. An uncommon experience with the most common guys. But when angels show up, you listen. Luke 2, verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. They hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Remember what I said, the shepherd's testimony doesn't count in court. So who did the God of the universe choose to be the first one to testify to the Savior? And all who heard it were amazed. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They just left the sheep. Shepherds come to see the Savior in his infant glory. And we start to see a collision of sorts, don't we? John 1.29, the Bible says this, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. No ordinary baby, the Lamb of God. The once and perfect sacrifice, who better than shepherds to identify the Lamb of God? Who would appreciate it more? Who would recognize him sooner? And where is he? What did it say? In a manger, in an animal trough, where the hay would go for the animals to eat. Jesus borrowed his delivery room and his crib from animals, and it's perfectly appropriate. Because later in life, Jesus is walking with his friends and he miraculously feeds 5,000 people and he's explaining to his friends that there's a better way to satisfy one's hunger. They don't get it. Jesus says in John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never go hungry, but whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The bread of life was born in the place where the animals would eat. The bread of life was born in a feeding trough. The common and the uncommon collide. And then we're told he's dressed in swaddling cloths, common baby clothes. He wasn't dressed in angels' wings or Gucci athleisure. I don't know what else he could have been in. It's common. And in some perfect poetry, in the perfect symmetry, the Jesus, the Savior of the world who shows up in common cloth, in a borrowed manger, 
He finds himself naked, clothed, common. And if we fast forward, and we'll be there at the end of March this year, to the end of Jesus' life, to his crucifixion, he finds himself naked again, stripped and beaten and hung on a cross, only to be wrapped in burial cloth, common cloth. Having been crucified and died, his friends wrapped him in a burial cloth, and he started his life in a borrowed animal stall, and he ends his life on a common criminal's cross. And then his friends take his body down and they place him in a borrowed tomb. He starts in a borrowed manger. He finishes in a borrowed tomb. But the collision, we keep looking for the collision. Every time you're in scripture, look for the collision. Jesus' arrival on earth is this pivot point of history, a collision between death and life, between heaven and hell. And the shepherds are the first to know. They remind us that he didn't come for the righteous and the religious. Jesus didn't come for the righteous and religious, for the common and the stained. For common people like you and me, for the kind of people who eat McRibs, that's who he, he came for the common. The baby in Bethlehem is the lamb of God. The infant in the manger is the bread of life. The child stashed in the animal stall, wrapped in common cloth, will one day leave behind the burial cloths and leave behind the borrowed tomb as well. He who lived like any common man died like every man before him. He, Jesus, is the collision of all that's common to earth and all that's uncommon from heaven. Jesus is the collision of all that is common to earth. Nothing came to Jesus that was any different than what came to you and I. The temptations and the sorrow and the grief and the challenge and the trials, Jesus went through all that is common to us. And yet Jesus brought all that's uncommon from heaven. So we know that in Jesus' sacrifice, Sin no longer has power and uncommon forgiveness reigns. In Jesus' death, the death that is common to all goes to die. An uncommon life, true restoration is born. In Jesus, hope is renewed. In Jesus, healing is restored. In Jesus, all that is common on earth. All the heartbreak and the pain and the sin and the shame and the brokenness and the frailty that you and I feel. All of that collides with what is uncommon, that the Lamb of God and the bread of life and the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he who restores our hearts and erases our pain, who takes away our sin and gets rid of our shame, he who heals us and strengthens us and promises a day when the only thing common to us will be the uncommon glory of eternity in his presence. He arrives, and that's what we celebrate on Christmas. Christmas is the collision of the common and the uncommon. Christmas is our annual reminder that there is a better way. Christmas is our annual reminder that there is still hope in the world, that there is still light in the darkness, that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, arriving as a baby in the most ordinary way, so as to invite you into the extraordinary beauty and the mystery and the love that he alone can bring you. That's why we celebrate. That's why we bundle up all of our year and we walk into a place like this. And I don't know what you've been through this year. I don't know what burdens you bring and what trials you've been through, what, what weights you carry. We say around here a lot that everyone is in a battle, everyone is in a trial, everyone is going through something. Some of your things are big and some of them are small, and some of them are public and everybody knows and some of you sit in here going, I'm the only one who knows that I'm carrying this right now. And we bundle all of that up 
And Christmas is the day when thousands of years of people bundling up all their worst and their ugly and their awful and their broken and hoping that there might one day be a Messiah, a Savior, someone to take it from us. Christmas is the day that we celebrate that God was faithful that he sent Jesus, that Jesus comes to remove from you the thing that you carry, to take from you the sin and the shame, to give you an outlet, an exit, to give you something better. And that's why we celebrate. It's why we sing about a holy night, a night divine. It's why Christmas music feels haunting to us when we get it right. I'm not talking about the Mariah Carey pop songs. or I'm talking about the, the Christmas music that kind of stirs your soul. It blends the common and the uncommon. It blends this worshipful holiness with occasional, this minor key intrusion of there's something that's being, their brokenness getting melded into something right. It's this beautiful collision. It's why we overflow with gratitude. It's why we give gifts, because we've received the greatest gift. It's why we plumb the depths of our soul for the courage to shout that he's good that he's worthy, that he's why we exist, that he's who we're here to praise. It's why in, in each and every one of us, there's something in us that wants to shout out, that wants to release, that wants to worship. There's something in us that desires that in our deepest parts. That's why so many people come to places like this on a normal Sunday, because we're compelled. So I can't go too many weeks without getting around people who know what it means to know this Jesus, who know what it means to have this, this praise bottled up within them, to let it out together. There's something magical about being in a room of this size with hundreds of people all singing the same song to the same God. A song that says he saved me and set me free, that he's the bread of life and the living water, that he's the roaring lion and the lamb of God, that he is common and uncommon colliding. And that as I believe in him, he lives in me. And as we follow him, as we walk with him, we might know the fullness that his uncommon love can bring to us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for a day like today where we can stop from the hustle and bustle, where we can take a deep breath the busyness of a season, and we can uh, really recognize who you are. Father, we thank you that uh, you heard our cries, that you knew that our broken hearts would need healing, and you sent it in the person of Jesus. Father, we're grateful that uh, we have a place that we can gather in safety and security and our joy and our celebration. Father, thank you that we have a voice a voice that we can uh, sing with and shout with, a voice that we can praise you with and declare your goodness and your glory. God, we are grateful that in this place and in this season that we have a few minutes we can set aside for you. So Father, as we bring all of our common gifts to sing of your uncommon love, Lord, my prayer is that you would connect the dots for us, that you would connect our hearts to yours, and tonight that you would connect your love to us, that we might know nothing less and who you are and what you've done for us. So Father, we thank you again and we lift this up in your son's precious name. Amen.